0: Well, we're in week three of our series called Room for Doubt, where we've been kind of exploring some of the biggest questions about Christianity and how do we as believers um, address some of these things. And today, we are going to be looking at what I think is um, really one of the most important questions uh, in regards to the, the Christian faith, and, and certainly in this series. Can we trust the Bible? Can we trust the Bible, or is it just a book filled with myths and mistakes. And and the reason why I think that this is such an important question is because if you think about it what you believe about the Bible is really going to shape what you believe about the rest of the Christian faith because the Bible is where we get our understanding of God, it's where we get our understanding of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. The Bible is where we get our understanding of salvation and and the church. It all comes from the Bible. And so there is a lot writing on what you believe about this book. And beliefs about the Bible are across the the gamut. Some people believe um, that the Bible really is the inspired Word of God. Uh, Some people believe that the Bible is, um, you know, it's not accurate, it's not reliable. In fact, before I became a Christian, this was one of the questions that I had, can we really trust the Bible's authenticity and accuracy? How confident can we be in this? If we're, if we're supposed to build our life on, on the words and the principles in this book, how, how confident can we be that the words are true and right? Maybe you've asked that question before in your life. Maybe you've asked other questions, like, uh, if the Bible was passed down through oral tradition, how can I trust that the stories are pure and accurate and unchanged? Um, aren't there a lot of mistakes and inconsistencies in the Bible? Doesn't the Bible conflict with what we know about science? You know, many skeptics in our world today, they may even think, if, the, if this book was written thousands of years ago, how in the world can it be relevant in my life? Like, what does it have to say to me today in 2018? And how we answer these important and very valid questions will determine what we believe about this book. And what we believe about this book is going to shape and determine what we believe about everything else about our faith. And so, if a person believes that this book is inconsistent, unreliable, and full of mistakes and errors, then they're going to be leery of believing anything else that it says. But if we believe that this book is the inspired Word of God… Preserved through the years, it is accurate, it is consistent, it is reliable, and it is just as relevant today as it was th- thousands of years ago when it was written. And that changes everything. Like, that means that this book is something that we should devour, that we should read. The psalmists, when they write about spending time and focusing on God's law, they, they use an illustration of a cow chewing cud just over and over and over, absorbing every ounce of goodness of it. If this is reliable and still relevant today and accurate and consistent, then this book really is something that we can build our lives and our faith upon. It is something that we should listen to and study and know, hide it in our hearts. Now, the Bible has some pretty strong words to say about itself. The writers of Scripture didn't shy away from lifting up its authority and its trustworthiness. They equated their writings to the Word of God, which is either the height of self-absorbed delusion, like a writer writing saying, these are the very words of God that I am writing. Like We may look at that and go, yeah, get over yourself <laughs> a little bit, or they really are that. They really are the Word of God. They really are speaking and writing on behalf of God. Here are a few things that the Bible says about itself. Hebrews 4.12 says, "...the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart." Jesus says in Matthew 24:35, "Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. My words are eternal. they are everlasting." First 1 Peter 1: 1, 24 through25 says, "For all people are like grass, and their glory is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever." 2 Peter one twenty one says, "...for prophecy has never had its origin in human will, but prophets through humans, though humans, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit." And 2 Timothy through 17 says, "...all Scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful. It is useful to, for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work." and So the writers of Scripture make very lofty claims about the words that they wrote. They claim that their words were inspired by God. They were eternal, meaning that they were true for all people of all time, for all places, and that they would never pass away. They claim that they were powerful and they were able to shape people's lives and equip them for good work. I appreciate what Julie had to say um, in the, in the, the panel. Um, Julie struggled with the Bible. She believed that it was more than just a book of fairy tales, Um, but she had a hard time coming to this conclusion that the Bible is what it says that it is and what we believe as Christians. But she did understand enough about it to know that if someone read it and applied those things to their life, that their life would probably be a lot better even if all of these things are true, and I believe wholeheartedly that they are, not just because I've seen it in my life, I have, I've seen the, the, the powerful influence of Scripture in my own life. I've seen it in the lives of others. Many of you have shared stories about how Scripture has absolutely changed your heart and changed your life. But even if all of those things are true, you have to trust it. A person has to trust it if it's going to do anything in their life. And for a lot of people, Christian, non-Christian, believer, agnostic, for, for a lot of people, they're not sure if they can trust what the Bible has to say. But I believe that there are some great reasons why we can't trust this book. Reasons that are so compelling that honestly, when, when I go through my own seasons of doubt, when when I struggle, when I wrestle, when I ask those why questions behind what I believe, when I go through my own seasons of doubt, there are reasons that I believe in the authenticity and the authority of Scripture that, that remind me, that pull me out of those seasons, They remind me that the Bible is true and reliable. And that if it's true and reliable, then God is who He says that He is and He will do what He says He will do. And so, we're going to be talking about some of those reasons tonight, and uh, to do so, I want to, I want to look at some of the common objections that people have towards the Bible, specifically about the New Testament. And the first challenge that I want to look at is this, <clears throat> the New Testament was written too late to be reliable today. The New Testament was written way too late to be reliable history. Uh, people might say something like this: You know, don't you know that the New Testament wasn't even written until a century or two or three after the time of Jesus? And so, during this time, all sorts of legends and misinformation had to have crept in. So, can you really take what it says very seriously? And you know what? They're right. They're right. If the gospel records of Jesus had not been written down until 100, 200, 300 years after Jesus walked the earth, that would bother me, but that's not what happened. In fact, the events recorded in the Bible, particularly those in the New Testament, are based primarily on direct eyewitness testimony. For example, the Apostle John, who wrote the Gospel of John, he, he went on and he wrote four letters to the churches. Three of them uh, were the epistles, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. One of them was Revelation. He made it clear that he was simply reporting what he had observed himself firsthand Look at what he says in 1 John 1.1. He writes, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this is what we proclaim. John is saying, the things that I have taken in with my own senses, now I am writing to you so that you may know. Other parts in the New Testament were compiled by writers who got their information directly from those who were eyewitnesses of the accounts. Luke says in the opening of his gospel, and and if you're not familiar with Luke's gospel, basically Luke was commissioned to go out on a research project. Someone had heard about the stories of Jesus, wanted to know, is this true? Can we believe this? sent Luke out to verify information. And so the opening words of Luke's letter back to Theophilus is this. Many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. They use the eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. Having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write a careful account so that you can be certain of the truth of everything you were taught. The authors of the New Testament were either eyewitnesses themselves or they interviewed direct eyewitnesses and wrote down their account, which means that their accounts were written down extremely early. They were written while the people who saw and heard Jesus were actually still alive. In fact, several times the author would include not just the name of the person who gave them the account, but also where they lived. As if to say, listen, if you, you don't have to take my word for it. If you want to follow up on this, here is the person and the place that you can go And you can ask them yourself. If you don't believe me, you can go straight to the horse's mouth. They were citing their sources. They were giving evidence and and ways to follow up with what they had written. And because of that, and because of the early manuscripts that have been discovered, most historians, even those who are skeptics, believe that, that the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels were written before 70 A.D., Most people now believe that Mark was written and circulated somewhere around 55 to 57 AD. As one scholar put it, historically speaking, that's like a news flash. (laughs) Yeah, other works of antiquity, they weren't even recorded for some thousands of years afterwards, but Scripture was recorded almost immediately. there's so much more that could be said about this. We could talk about the so-called lost Gospels, which I know are a pretty hot topic in literature and others, the lost Gospels of Thomas and Mary and Judas and how they haven't really been lost at, at all. They were written by a group of of heretics called the Gnostics around 175 A.D., over a hundred years after the Gospels that we have were recorded. Some of them were written even later than that. And and the skeptic would would look at us and say, well, why did the early church exclude them? Hmm? Is there something they didn't want us to know? Well, the truth is they weren't even around when the early church existed, and so they didn't even have anything to exclude and, and, and the people who wrote these were a little bit tricky because they borrowed names that were very well known, Thomas, Mary, Judas, others. Those people had been dead for decades, let alone the people who could verify any of the stories. I believe that the New Testament is reliable because it is comprised of books and letters that were written either by eyewitnesses or the testimony and the interview of eyewitnesses. They were written in the lifetimes of those who knew and walked and saw and touched Jesus, who had nothing to gain and everything to lose by writing these accounts down. They had nothing to gain but everything to lose by writing these accounts down. And I think that makes them incredibly reliable. Challenge number two, the Bible is full of myths and stories of miracles that can no longer be believed by thinking people, that the Bible is just a book of made-up fairy tales. A couple of things on this real fast. Last week, we looked at some pretty incredible evidence for an intelligent designer who created, who who, who not only created, but also fine-tuned our universe to razor Edge precision so that life on earth could exist. We looked at the evidence for a cause behind the universe that is spiritual and eternal and unimaginably powerful and wise. We talked about a moral lawgiver who is perfectly good and, 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 and can serve as the source and standard for objective moral principles. Our, our community group, we, we spent some time talking about those in the last week and the conversation was fantastic. And I'm telling you, if you are not in a life group, you are missing out. You're missing out if you're not in a life group. We had such a great time discussing these things. Now, think about it. If a God like the one we gave evidence for last week exists then it would be nothing for a God like that to foretell the future, to bring about a virgin birth, to do miraculous healings, or even raise someone from the dead. Like, if you can create the entire universe out of nothing in the fraction of a nanosecond, then doing something like calming a storm or causing Peter to catch a fish with a coin in its mouth is just mere child's play. Like, that's just showing off after that. Also, the Bible talks a lot about you know, people and places that have actually been confirmed by secular historians. For example, there's a group, of the people that, uh, a group of people in the Bible that we read about called the Hittites. There's about three dozen references in the Old Testament about this group of people called the Hittites. The problem is, is that there was nothing about the Hittites in any other resources except for Scripture so, nothing else in ancient literature said anything else about the Hittites. There was no evidence of their existence, and so everyone just kind of assumed, well, they were made up, and this is just another example of why the Bible is historically inaccurate and it can't be trusted. But within the last 100 years, archaeologists digging in modern-day Turkey have uncovered thousands of records about the Hittites, <laughs> and now everyone believes in them. Gary Habermas, author of the, the book, The Historical Jesus, says that there are at least 39 ancient sources outside of the Bible, 39 ancient sources outside of the Bible, have nothing to gain by this, that provide 100 facts about Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. The Bible is not a book of myths, but it is actually filled with verifiable facts that you can examine, confirm, and stake your life and your salvation on. Challenge all of that. The Bible's filled with contradictions. <laughs> out in the lobby, um, on your way out, on the, at the welcome desk on the right by the windows, uh, we have a little resource center put together. I wanted to make this available to you, to us throughout the series. Um, I've read all of those books personally. I've grown through each one of them. They are fantastic. And one of them out there. It's a book called The Problem of God. And basically, what he does in this book is he, he, he kind of cr- says, okay, for those of us who believe, we have some pretty solid answers to these things. Uh, for those who don't believe, this kind of creates a problem to your worldview, so how are you going to answer it? This is how we answer it as Christians, what are you going to do with this? And so, it, he, he challenges um, the, the thinking of the day by saying, no, God actually creates a problem with some of the things that you believe, we don't have the problem, you do. <laughs> And and he does an incredible job. It is the best chapter I have ever read about um, the Bible and and why we can put our our faith and our belief in that and addressing some of the challenges. Um, the, The best chapter I've ever read on that. It is that chapter alone is worth the $10 for that book. And a lot of people believe that the Bible is filled with contradictions, but if you ask them, hey, Like, give me an example. Like, well, I I, I don't know. It's just something that I've heard, but but you know it is, don't you? And so, (laughs) it's filled with contradictions. And some people could give you an answer, and the truth is that that there are some some things that can easily be um, explained. Some not so much, but some can. Most can. For example, someone might point out that in one of the Gospels, it indicates that there was an angel at Jesus' tomb while another gospel says that there were two angels. Or they'll say in one account, Jesus seems to have ridden on one donkey in His triumphal entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, while another mentions that there were two donkeys. I mean, how can you trust a book that was written by people who couldn't even count angels and donkeys, right? But here's a little helpful rule of math. Wherever there are two, there is also one. One. Wherever there are two, there is also one. You see, the fact that one eyewitness only mentions a single angel or a single donkey does not mean that there couldn't have been more than one. It just means that one author chose to highlight one while the other author went into a little bit more detail in how they explained the account. It's like if I left church tonight and I told my wife, Amber, that there was a guy wearing a red sweatshirt. And my family, um, Amber is the detailed one, and I am not. <laughs> and so Amber might tell me, well, I actually saw three guys wearing a red sweatshirt. Now, do you think that she would accuse me of lying because I, only said, I said that I only saw one guy wearing a red sweatshirt? No, she would accuse me of what she accuses me of all the time, not paying enough attention to details, <laughs> But at the end of the day, I would still be correct by saying, "I saw a guy wearing a red sweater," and she would still be correct by saying that she saw three guys wearing a red sweater." Other things that are sometimes called contradictions in the Bible are when writers present general descriptions, or they give brief details or summaries, and they, they may be round numbers or use figures of speech and so forth. And none of the apparent contradictions change the meaning of the text, or God's redemptive plan through Jesus in any way whatsoever. None of them. And the final point on this is, if you ask any reporter or detective, any reporter or detective will tell you, it is the nature of eyewitness accounts that there will always be minor differences. In fact, don't miss this. It's one of the ways they determine whether the testimonies are authentic. Real eyewitness accounts always include differing perspectives and varying levels of detail. It's when the reports are identical that investigators begin to doubt what they are hearing and just kind of assume that the two witnesses have gotten together to get their stories straight. It's like when um, my girls are playing upstairs. And I hear a loud bang or a crashing noise. And, and I go up there to see what is going on. And they, I ask them, hey, what, what just happened up here? And they both look at me and go, nothing. Like right at the same time in the exact same way. That's when I'm most suspicious. <laughs> that's when I believe, no, no, something actually went on here because you two just quickly got your stories together. But that's not what we see in the Gospels. We do see varying and minor differences, none of which change the overall story, and most of which come down to just one person saw a detail that the other person missed or chose not to include. All right, everyone still with me? Can I get a yes? Yes. All right. Thank you. Last challenge, number four, the Bible has been corrupted over time. Uh, you hear this one all the time, even on our, on our Seekers panel and people say you can't trust the bible because it's been translated and retranslated so many times how do we even know what was originally said it's it's like they believe that, that the bible was taken from greek and translated into latin and then into german and then that's where we got our english version from people who believe this believe that the bible was kind of passed down like a child's game of telephone you remember that game so, one kid whispers a message into another kid's ear who whispers that message into another kid's ear who whispers that message into another kid's ear, and so on and so forth, until they get to the end and everyone laughs about how mixed up the message became. And it's a fun game, uh, but it's a horrible illustration for how we got our Bible You see, the Bible is not some sort of long chain of translations from one language to the next. It's actually a direct translation from ancient manuscripts in the original languages, the original languages of Hebrew in the Old Testament, of Greek and some Aramaic in the New Testament. And every good translation, most translations that we're going to pick up today that we're going to read from, every good translation goes back to the earliest and best documents and what makes the New Testament really stand out is that we have so many more direct copies than any other ancient work. And they date so much closer to the time of the original writings than do the earliest manuscript of any other work in history. The bottom line is that the modern translation of the Bible available to us as our English Bible is accurate, it is trustworthy. It is a rendition of the original text, and we can read it with confidence that they say what the original author intended it to say. Just a quick example on this, the Dead Sea Scrolls. I remember that found, discovered in a cave, um, I think in the 1950s, a huge chunk of the book of Isaiah uh, that, that dated hundreds of years before Christ. And when scholars started to look at the Dead Sea Scrolls, many of them, when they found it, was probably like, okay, this is our time to refute. <laughs> We've got our evidence of how off this has become through the years. You know what they found? Chapters and chapters of Isaiah, they found less than 5% difference between the Dead Sea Scrolls that were written 500 years or more before the birth of Jesus. In the manuscripts that we use to get our English translation. Less than 5% difference. And most of those are just where an article was placed or where a little slash was put above a letter. None of the differences made any one iota of a change in the message of Isaiah. Truth is, is that the Bible is incredibly consistent from beginning to end, It is reliable, and it has been well-preserved over time. The word Bible literally means book. It is one book made up of 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, that, that talk about um, Israel's history and the beginning of God's plan of bringing His people back to Himself. 27 books in the New Testament, which cover the life of Jesus, the launch of the early church, and the fulfillment of God's redemptive plan through Christ. The fulfillment of God making grace and forgiveness available to all who put their faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. In these 66 books, they were not just the meandering thoughts of one or two people written down over the span of 20 or 30 years. God inspired and directed 40 different authors spanning over 1,600 years in over a dozen countries on three different continents. The Bible was written, like I said earlier, in three different languages. And what's even more amazing is that God chose to breathe his message of love and grace to us through people from all walks of life. He used farmers and kings, soldiers and shepherds, historians and fishermen. God spoke through tax collectors and scholars and peasants who wrote from inside of caves and ships and palaces and prisons. For this book to be written by such a diverse group of people over a span of over 1,600 years and yet still be one consistent story of God's love and grace is absolutely incredible. And Because of that, I believe that you can trust what this Bible has to say, that it is reliable, and that the truth in it is worthy of building our life upon. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you have preserved it through time. And Lord, if there's anyone in here tonight who is struggling to believe, um, Lord, I get it. I've, I've been there and, and I pray that they will know that it's okay to wrestle. It's okay to doubt. That they've taken a great step just even being here tonight. And Lord, would you show them through some of the things that we talked about tonight and, and some of the things that we didn't even have time to, to talk about, let alone scratch the surface off, would you show them that your word is true and accurate? It's reliable, it points us to salvation in Jesus. It's something that, uh, that is a firm foundation for which we can build our life and our faith upon. And so, Lord, uh, would you use your word in our lives, I pray that, uh, that we will not just let it sit on a shelf, sit on a coffee table, collect dust, that we will open it and allow it to be living and active in our life, that you will use your word to change and to mold us more and more into the image of Jesus. We thank you for the way that you have chosen to communicate to us, and Lord, I just pray that... Uh, that we will hold it in high regard, that we'll learn to trust it more. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.